Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we had a great weekend last week up in Durango, Colorado in our couples retreat. And while I was gone, Craig Hayes preached in my place. And I want to thank Craig for that. He did an excellent job. Um, if you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to hear Craig's sermon, I want to encourage you to go onto our website. Um, and on there you'll see a place for our podcast. All of our sermons are on there. So you can uh, go there and you can listen to Craig's sermon and listen to what he talked about, less being more. I think he just did that trying to get me to shorten up my my sermons. You know, it's like, less is more, Walter. Less is more, Walter. Well, we'll see how that goes today. I also want to give you a Project 9K update. Um, Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. We have challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible collectively in 2017. And to date, we have read 556 books of the Bible. So uh, pace is good. You guys are really participating and reporting your results. So keep up the good work. Let's continue to immerse ourselves in God's word. In case you're wondering, the reason why we have these Bible reading challenges and the reason why we do these continual updates on our progress is because we here at Netherwood Park believe in the transforming power of God's Word. And because we believe in the transforming power of God's Word, we believe that each and every one of us should make frequent and consistent Bible reading a part of our day, a priority in our lives. We also feel that way about prayer. We here at Netherwood Park believe that prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. We are a praying church. And we want you to know that we want to lift your prayer requests up to God. We want to do that for you and we want you to do that for us. So if you're here today and you have a prayer request that you'd like this congregation or just its eldership to lift up in prayer, we encourage you to let us know about your prayer request. And to do that, you can use our prayer request cards. You'll find these green cards in the rack in front of you. All you have to do is fill out your prayer request and drop it in one of the collection boxes, and we will honor your request. In fact, literally hundreds of people We'll be receiving your prayer request and we'll be lifting your request up in prayer. You'll find two of those boxes at the back of the auditorium. You'll find another one through these double doors over here. We also want you to know that we here at Netherwood Park believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's through immersion in water that believers in Jesus Christ are buried with Jesus so that they can die to their old lives and rise up as new creations to a a new life. And it's there that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. In order to have that conversation, all you need to do is turn this green card over, fill out your contact information, check the box about baptism, and either I or one of our elders will contact you right away to have that conversation. And the final thing I want you to know is that we here at Netherwood Park encourage all Christians to belong to a local congregation. We call that placing membership with the congregation. And the reason why we encourage people to do that is because we believe in the importance of being a part of a church. We believe in the importance of being part of a church family, a family of fellow Christians. 
So we believe there's great value in formally declaring that you belong to a church and you want to be led by its eldership. So if you've been attending here at Netherwood for a while and you haven't made that declaration, we want to encourage you to do that. Once again, just fill out this green card with your contact information. Check the box about church membership and either I or one of our elders will contact you to have that conversation. Well, we're going to learn more about Jesus from the Gospel of John today. And as we do that, let's pray together. Father, we are thirsty people. And Father, we oftentimes spend lots of time and energy chasing after things that we think will quench our thirst, only to find ourselves thirsty again. And Father, help us to turn to you. Help us to turn to Jesus Christ. Help us to turn to your living water. Father, the only water that will truly quench our thirst, so we will never be thirsty again. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many people here remember the dating game? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. You know, raise your hand if you remember the dating game. Okay, I know how old all of you guys are that remember the dating game. The dating game was televised in the 60s and in the 70s and in the 80s and the 90s. It was on TV for a long time. And for those of you who don't remember the show, on that show a bachelorette would be there. And the bachelorette would ask three hidden bachelors a series of questions. And she would ask those questions before deciding which one of the bachelors she was going to go out on a date with. And before the bachelorette would begin her questions, the TV voice guy, you remember the voice guy, right? He would introduce those three bachelors with some basic information about them. And I don't know about you, but to me it seemed like there was always one bachelor that seemed to be just a little off, a little different than the others. In fact, the introduction would often go like this. I'm going to do my TV voice guy impression here. We want you to meet bachelor number one. He's a 27-year-old brain surgeon who volunteers at the local homeless shelter on his days off. And please meet bachelor number two. He's a 26-year-old former NFL quarterback who gave up his football career to dig wells to provide water to third world villages. It's all looking pretty good so far, right? And then would come the one that was a little off. And please meet bachelor number three. He's a 37-year-old middle school dropout who still lives in his mother's basement while pursuing a world record in Donkey Kong. Just a little off. And so as you were watching that show, you weren't sure which bachelor was going to be selected, but you were pretty sure which bachelor wasn't going to be picked by the bachelorette. Well, that may seem like a strange way to start a sermon, but as I was reflecting on our text for today, and I was thinking back on the last couple of sermons that I had delivered, I was reminded of that old dating game. You might remember three weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus. Nicodemus had kind of a confusing encounter with Jesus. And then two weeks ago on our baby celebration Sunday, we explored a young man and his kind of disappointing encounter with Jesus. And this week, we're going to experience a Samaritan woman's surprising encounter with Jesus. 
And if this was an episode of the kingdom game, if these were three candidates who were vying to be selected for God's kingdom, I think the introduction of these three candidates might go something like this. Let's meet kingdom candidate number one. His name is Nick. Nick is a sincere, confident, prosperous, and influential male religious leader who's seeking the teacher who is sent from God. And let's meet kingdom candidate number two. His name is Rich. Rich is a sincere, powerful, and wealthy, young, moral Jewish man, and he's seeking eternal life. And then comes candidate number three, the candidate who's a little off. Candidate number three is Sammy. She's a morally questionable foreign woman who's simply seeking some water, some water from a well. And if that's all we knew about our three kingdom candidates, we not, might not be sure which of the three candidates was going to be selected, but we'd be pretty sure which one wasn't going to be picked. We'd be pretty confident that Sammy wouldn't be picked for the kingdom. Well, in the last few weeks, we've met Nick and we've met Rich. And this morning, we're going to learn more about Sammy, that kingdom candidate who seems just a little off. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. On their way back to Galilee from Judea, Jesus and his disciples had to go through Samaria. So they came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It's near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was around noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone, gone into town to buy food. Well, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Husband, what you have said is quite 
true. I have to tell you that not only is Sammy, not only is this Samaritan woman a little off as a kingdom candidate, this whole story is more than a little off. In fact, I want you to know that Jesus is breaking all kinds of rules as he sits here and has this conversation by the well. Rule number one, Jewish men, especially religious Jewish men, especially religious Jewish teachers, especially rabbis, simply don't have public conversations with women, with any women. It's against the Jewish kingdom rules. And rule number two, Jews, especially religious Jews, don't have public conversations with Samaritans, with any Samaritans. In fact, that was the great racial disgrace of the day. Jews hated Samaritans. Jews despised Samaritans. Instead of referring to Samaritans as people, the Jews refer to them as dogs. In fact, it's shocking that Jesus is even in Samaria. See, religious Jews normally took the long way around Samaria, so they wouldn't even risk encountering any Samaritans. Jews don't have public conversations with Samaritans. It's against the Jewish kingdom rules. And rule number three, Jewish men, especially religious Jewish men, certainly don't have public conversations with a Samaritan woman who has a questionable past and a questionable present and a questionable reputation. That's against Jewish kingdom rules. And rule number four, even if a Jewish man was willing to break those first three rules and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman with a questionable past, he certainly would never suggest that he was willing to drink from the same vessel, from the same cup, the same glass that that woman used. You see, that was a sure path to defilement. It was a sure path to pollution. And that was a sure breach of Jewish kingdom rules. And if those aren't enough broken rules, Jesus breaks one more rule. Rule number four. A Jewish religious leader certainly wouldn't have had a respectful theological discussion with a Samaritan woman with a questionable past. That would have been against all of the Jewish kingdom rules. But that's exactly the kind of discussion that Jesus has with this woman. It's respectful. It's deeply theological. That's the discussion that Jesus has with this kingdom candidate that seems more than just a little off. Verse 19 Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Let's pause right there. No one asked the woman, what do you want? And no one asked Jesus, why are you talking with her? No one asked it, but everyone was thinking it. And no one asked those questions, but let's ask those questions now. Only let's ask those questions of John. See, what does John want us to get from this interaction? What does John want us to get from this story about Jesus breaking all those rules to have this conversation with this unlikely kingdom candidate why is John telling us this story why is John telling us this story about Jesus having this conversation with this Samaritan woman who has a questionable past well I believe that John tells us this story because he wants us to see the kingdom the same way that Jesus sees the kingdom and he wants us to see Jesus The way that Jesus sees himself. And he wants us to see ourselves the way that he sees us. And Jesus especially wants us to see other people the way that he sees other people. So that makes me wonder, how do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus? Are we like Nick and Rich and see him as a great teacher or maybe a prophet from God? Or do we see him as the only water, as the living water that brings eternal life, that quenches our thirst so we'll never be thirsty again? And I wonder, how does Jesus see us? Do you think Jesus looks at us and sees a bunch of people who are like Nicodemus? People who are intrigued by Jesus? People who are curious about Jesus? People who want to be in his presence but aren't quite ready to come out of the darkness, to be born again, to truly serve Jesus? Or do you think Jesus looks at us like he looks at rich, as he looks at the young ruler? 
You think Jesus looks at us and sees people who desperately want eternal life, but aren't quite willing to let go of all the things, let go of the mistaken identities and the false securities that keep us from relying on him. Keep us from relying on the living water. I also have to wonder how we see ourselves. Do we see ourselves through our own distorted eyes? Or do we see ourselves through the distorted eyes of others? Or do we see ourselves the same way that Jesus sees us? But mostly this conversation with this woman at the well makes me wonder how we see other people. Do we trust our eyes to tell us who other people really are? Or do we trust the eyes of others to give identity to the people who are around us? Or do we see others through the eyes of Jesus? And that's the question that's really stuck with me. And that's the question that I want to carry, I want you to carry with you out of this place today. You see, Jesus isn't just talking to a woman at the well. And John isn't just telling us a story about this conversation between a thirsty Jesus and this thirsty Samaritan woman who has a questionable past. Now, John's telling us the story because Jesus is modeling behavior. Jesus is showing us, Jesus is showing his followers how we should engage the world that's around us. Jesus is showing us how we should interact with the people who are around us. Especially how we should engage with those people who are at the margins of our world. Jesus is showing us how we should interact with today's equivalent of the Samaritan woman with a a questionable past and a questionable present and a very uncertain future. Jesus shows us how we should engage with our world. And he shows us that we should engage with those on the margins of our world by first recognizing that they have worth. And understanding that their worth isn't determined by their past. And their worth isn't determined by their present. And their worth isn't determined by their gender or their skin color or their nationality or even their religion. No, their worth is determined by their God. By their God who loves them. By their God who sacrificed his son for them. By their God who desperately wants them to drink of his living water. And when we recognize the value, when we recognize the worth of the people around us, then we're in a position to follow Jesus' example. Follow his example and reach across all barriers to reach those people. Like Jesus, we'll be willing to break all of the rules to reach other people. We'll be willing to break all the rules to reach other people even when 
Maybe especially when we know the very worst about those people. And we don't cross those barriers and we don't break rules just to reach others. No, we cross those barriers and we break the rules to bring those people what they desperately need. They need new life. They need rebirth. They need living water. They need Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Messiah. I don't have to tell you, we live in a moral desert. We live among desperately thirsty people. We live with people who need living water. We're surrounded by people who need Jesus. We're surrounded by people who need the one who broke all of the rules. Jesus' rule-breaking didn't start at this well. Jesus broke all the rules by coming to this earth in the first place. He broke all the rules by living among us. He broke all the rules by walking to the cross. He broke all the rules by dying a shameful death. He broke all the rules by living again. And Jesus broke all the rules to offer a way for sinful people Sinful people like Nick, sinful people like Rich, sinful people like Sammy, sinful people like the sinners around us, sinners like you, and sinners like me. Jesus broke all the rules to offer a way for sinful people like us, a way for sinful people like us to drink living water. And to be able to worship the holy God. And Jesus models all of that in this one conversation with one woman with a questionable past beside the well. But Jesus does something else there at the well. See, Jesus also shows us that the most unlikely kingdom candidates are often the most effective kingdom evangelists. Listen to the rest of the Samaritan woman's story. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? You see, because Jesus broke the rules, and because Jesus reached across the barriers, because Jesus recognized the worth of a marginal woman, 
Because Jesus offered new life and living water. Because Jesus showed the way for sinful people to worship the holy God. Because he did all of those things with one unlikely kingdom candidate. Many others came. And many others drank Jesus' living water. The most unlikely of kingdom candidates are often the most effective kingdom evangelists. And don't we need effective kingdom evangelists? Well, as we end, I just want to leave you with four questions. How do you see Jesus? Is he really your living water? And how do you you think Jesus sees you? Because you need to know that whether you are like Nick or you're like Rich or you're like Sammy, no matter how you view yourselves, you need to know that Jesus sees your value. Jesus sees your worth. And no matter how you view yourself, you need to know that Jesus also sees that you have a desperate need for living water. Question number three. How do you see yourself? Because I want you to know, if you see yourself in any other way than Jesus sees you, you have a distorted view of yourself. You need to understand, you have value. You have worth. And you have a desperate need for living water. The fourth question. How do you see others? Do you see others as Jesus sees them? Do you see them as valuable regardless of their past? Do you see them as worthwhile no matter their present? Do you see them as worth reaching across barriers and breaking rules for no matter their reputation? Do you see others as sharing your need, your desperate thirst for living water? We're here today as followers of Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge him as the way and the truth and the life. We acknowledge him as the living water. He's our way. He's our truth. He's our life. He's our living water. He's also the way and the truth and the life and the living water for sinners. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the living water for sinners like Nick, sinners like Rich, sinners like Sammy, and sinners like me. And thank God that Jesus Christ is the one who gives living water. And whoever drinks of the water he gives will never thirst. So let's drink deeply of that water 
And let's carry that water to our thirsty world. And now let's stand and let's praise that living water. Let's stand and praise Jesus. Let's stand and praise the living water. The water that if people will drink, they will never be thirsty. Let's stand and praise the one, the only one who's worthy of all praise.